All right, we'll start out in Matthew chapter number two. And last time I was asked the question, do people in heaven know what's going on down here on earth? And so we're going to cover that tonight. Do people in heaven know what's going on down here on earth? Now, it's easy just to answer the question, but it's always better to see what the Bible says about the question. And so in Matthew chapter number two is where we'll start. Go ahead and grab Matthew chapter two and get Hebrews chapter 12. Matthew chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 12, I've gone too far right there, there we go, and Revelation chapter 19, it's hard to hold all the places, but we're going to do our best. All right, Matthew chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 12, and Revelation chapter 19. So let's start Matthew chapter 2. The people in heaven know what's going on on earth. Now when you ask that question, here I'm going to give you some scriptures that people give for this reason. And these are scriptures that teach that they do. That's what people use to teach that they do. So in Matthew chapter number 2, down in verse 17. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation, and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. And so what people say is, in the context, that's when the Lord had just been born, not too long before that. And Herod was killing all the baby boys. And that happened in Ramah, which is the area of Bethlehem. That's what Ramah is, it's that area of Bethlehem. Well, that's, the Lord was born in a manger in Bethlehem. And of course, he's already born after this. He's a young child. He might have been a year old at the time or something like that. And uh, in Matthew chapter 2. But they say, well, see there, there's Rachel weeping for her children. And meaning her children, meaning the Jewish people, the Jewish babies that are being killed. And so they say, well, Rachel's weeping for them. She's crying for them. Apparently she sees what's going on. But there's some problems with that concept if you teach that. One thing was, it's figurative because Rachel's been dead for 2,000 years nearly when this is written right here. Nearly 2,000 years, Rachel's been dead. And furthermore, these really aren't just her children. Her children were you read about them in the Bible, these right here are descendants of her. And so they're not just direct children. And there's a third problem. The third problem is Rachel's not in heaven in Matthew chapter number 2. You say, how do you know that? The Lord hadn't gone to prepare a place yet. She's down in paradise. And so she's down in paradise, it has nothing to do with anybody in heaven. So that messes up everything. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And so that verse would be hard to use to teach that, even though some people do. Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The Bible tells us that the Christian life is likened unto a race. We're, we're to get in the race. We're to run the race. We're to get rid of things that weighed us down. We're to get rid of sin that would stop us from starting right and finishing right. And then in verse 2, looking unto the author and finisher of our faith, we're to look at the finish line. We're to look at our Savior. There's ways to run the race. But notice as you're running the Christian race, the Bible says we're compassed about, circled around, with so great a cloud of witnesses, people watching us. Now these witnesses are in Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter. And you get reading Hebrews chapter 11, you got people like Abraham, a man of faith. By faith, Abraham, it would say. Then you've got a guy named 
Noah, and you've got a guy named Enoch over there, and you've got a guy named Abel, and you've got a lady named Sarah, and you've got on and on and on, all these people by faith, that's who it's talking about. But the problem there, these witnesses aren't watching us, they're, they're compassed about us, the witnesses are, they're circled around us in the sense that they've already gone through what we're going through. They're witnesses in the fact that they understand the race because they've already run the race. And that's what the context is talking about. And so it really doesn't work to say that they're watching us. So that would kind of mess that up. Now the third place is in Revelation 19. Revelation 19. I'm going to give you a fourth place in a minute. I know he's about to run out of hand. So. <laughs> Revelation 19. Revelation chapter 19 verse 1. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And, it, and they continue to say that. Now you say, what's this? What this is is a scene of people in heaven. There's no doubt they're around the throne. And in the passage, what's going on is Revelation 17 and 18. The great whore, Babylon the great. That's what the Bible terminology says. And anyway, she's the religious system that's against God. That's what that is. And there she is, and God destroys that. Destroys the city that she's in and all the parts of her there. And gets rid of every bit of that. And these people are watching it. But the problem is, this is in future. This is in the tribulation period. And these are saints that are already in heaven at the end of the tribulation. And they're watching what's going on as God destroys that. That's a special case. And so it's also hard to say that everybody in heaven sees what's going on right now. Because of one special case in the at the end of the tribulation period. When God shows them how he's destroying that once and for all. And so it, it's hard to prove it from there too. A different age. In the Bible, there's dispensations. People say, are we dispensationalists? The answer is yes. Of course we are. How many of you have an Old Testament and a New Testament in your Bible? Raise your hand. You're a dispensationalist then. Pretty plain. We've been teaching that at school quite a bit. You say, what's that mean? Different dispensations are different for different people. We're in the dispensation of grace right now. The Old Testament, the majority of it was the dispensation of the law. We're not under the law. You say, what's that mean? means that that wasn't written directly to me. Now, the Old Testament's written for me, but it's not always to me. It's for my admonition. I can learn from it. The Old Testament shows how God deals with the nation, the nation of Israel. If America wants to know how to do right, to do things right, they ought to read the Old Testament and see how God dealt with that nation right there. And so we can still get things and we still get truths from the Old Testament. But really, that's a different dispensation. As a matter of fact, the dispensation of Adam and Eve is a different dispensation. Before the Genesis 3, there they were and they never sinned. We're not in that dispensation because we all have a sin nature. And so then they sinned and that changed things. And then after that, you've got the dispensation of grace all the way to Moses. And then from Moses, you've got a, the dispensation of the law until Jesus. Did you know that the... Uh, that the New Testament didn't come into effect until Jesus died on the cross at Calvary. That means that 80% of the Gospels, or 90% of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are Old Testament. 
That means they're under the law. The New Testament doesn't come into force till the testator dies. He had to die, and he took care of the law when he died. He fulfilled it. He crossed every T, dotted every I, took care of all of it. The Lord did. And then the dispensation of grace comes. And then there's going to be a rapture. And after the rapture, there's going to be a tribulation period. That's not our dispensation. That's where God's dealing with the nation of Israel again. And then after that, there's going to be a millennial reign. That's not, that's not the dispensation we're living in right now. That's a whole different ball game. And then after that, you go into eternity. So see, there's all these different dispensations. We're in the dispensation of grace. That's what we're in. The best one, by the way, other than the millennial, right? I mean, that would be good in eternity. But all of the others, dispensation of grace is much better than the law anyway. So we ought to be glad about that. And so it's hard. You've got to divide these scriptures outright and get them in the right spot. All right. How about one more place? Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. So things that are different are not the same. Luke chapter 15. We get our doctrines, our main doctrines for our church from what we call the Pauline epistles. And those are letters that Paul wrote to those churches during that time. And so that's where you get your main do church doctrine at. We still read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are history books. And they still are great teaching books. They teach us so much. But you don't read the word adoption anywhere in your Bible except for Romans, Pauline epistle, Galatians, and Ephesians. Paul wrote all those. So you don't read that stuff anywhere else. And you read more about redemption there and sanctification and, and all those other words that deal with salvation. You read about those in, the, in Paul's epistles. And so he's dealing more at the church age. And so we get our doctrines from that. And what you'll find is people that base their doctrines on the book of Acts always get messed up. They're always messed up because they go by Acts 2.38. And then they go by uh, Mark 16.16 16, about signs that were given to Jews. And they have all this list. And they all give you these lists. They get messed up there. Things were different during that time. There's a transition period. And so we're not in the transition period. We're past that. All right, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verse 7. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Did you say that? Somebody repents down here on earth, gets things right. There's joy in heaven, the Bible says. You say, there it is. People in heaven know what's going on down here. Well, who are the people he's talking about? Verse 10 will tell you. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy... In the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Where's, who's the joy with? It's in the presence of the angels. There's another problem. You say, what's the other problem? People weren't in heaven in Luke chapter 15. The angels were, but people were. They were in Abraham's bosom if they were saved people. Because the Lord hadn't died yet. And so that messes things up. Now... To come down to this, you say, what do you think? If I was just saying, do I think people in heaven know anything about down here on earth? I would like to say they do. I just can't prove that they do. But I'd say there's a good chance they do. But as far as just a verse in the Bible that says, yes, they know what's going on, it's not in there. But there's verses that almost allude to it. So to me, it leans more that way than it does the other way. So I'm just saying, if you're asking my opinion, which... Don't matter. It's not a church doctrine. It's just my opinion. My opinion is they probably know what's going on. Probably. Some things. 
And probably if the angels get happy about people getting saved, they probably know something's happening because they're up there now. And so they say something going on. What, what are they so excited about? Well, another one got saved. Oh, well, how about that? Who knows? So that'd be a good thing. I'd hope that they do. All right. What about this? I've been talking a whole lot about this, so let's go into this little thing too. What about the dead? Where do people go when they die? So we've been talking about in the Old Testament, people don't go where they go now as far as saved people. Now when a person dies, their soul and spirit departs and leaves from their body. You say, how do you know that? Okay, go to Genesis, the first book in your Bible. Genesis chapter 35. Genesis 35. Genesis 35. And grab Genesis 35 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now the good thing about it is we got a good Bible. We got a perfect Bible. And so we can go by the word of God. I had a guy uh, Sunday night come after me out in the lobby. Not here where I was at. And um, tried to attack me over words in the Bible. That always happens when you're teaching on that kind of stuff. You say, well, what would you do? Well, I'd heard everything he'd said before. They were old stuff. He probably got off the Internet somewhere. And I had an answer for everything he had. And after about the second one, he wasn't wanting to let me talk. He's just throwing stuff at me. What about this part? Should that be in there? I said, of course it should be in there. All of them supposed to be in there. Where was you at for the last hour and 15 minutes? I thought I made that pretty plain. You know, and anyway, and he's going on and just attacking me. And I said, all right, I'm done. I said, it's my turn to ask you questions. I said, you've already asked all you're asking. I've answered everything you've asked me. You're willing to ask more, and I can answer those too. I said, I've been asked these same questions no more than 30 times. I said, show me if this is not perfect. You show me a copy of a Bible that is in any language. And I said, if you can't show me a copy of one, there's no reason for us to even be talking. Why would you be talking about my Bible when you don't have one? You say, what did he do? He got his seven kids and his wife and left. <laughs> got mad. Sometimes that's what you got to do. The Bible talks about answering a fool according to their folly. Anybody that has a legitimate question that they're not coming just to attack somebody. Man, I would spend, I'd bend over backwards to help somebody like that. But if they're going to attack somebody over the Bible and just come angry and mad. You're at the wrong place. I can tell you that right now. There's no sense in that. That's not how Christians behave. All right, Genesis 35. Genesis 35. Genesis 35, verse 16. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. Now that Rachel's going to be the mother of Joseph and Benjamin in the Bible. Great kids there. So really good ones. And notice when she died, the Bible says her soul was in departing. So her body was here, but the soul left the body. Now people say, well, when you die, you're dead like Rover. You're dead all over. Uh-uh. According to the Bible, you, something leaves. Take uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and what a great verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. We are confident, I say, 
and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Look at that. When a person dies, they're absent from the body. So I'm glad. Aren't you glad that somebody's not going to get a shovel and throw dirt on top of you? You say, well, they bury them every day. They may bury them, but it's just a body that they're burying. It's not them. You, do, you can't even see me. You say, well, I'm looking right at you. No, I'm on the inside looking out. This isn't me. This will be buried someday if the Lord doesn't come back before that time. But guess what? My spirit, my soul is going to be with him. It's going to leave out of here. Sister Alma Grubbs was a charter member of Temple Baptist Church in Bald Knob. When I first started preaching, uh, there she was, and she told me, an elderly woman, she said, Now, when you preach a funeral, don't you do like that one preacher did. I said, How'd the one preacher do? I was getting ready to do my first funeral. And she said, Well, he pointed down at the casket, and she said, That's just the shell. The nut's already gone home to glory. <laughs> That's good. That's good advice. So I've always tried to remember that. <laughs> so when a person dies, the shell stays, the nut leaves. <laughs> now in the Old Testament, saved people under, and, and they're not even really called saved in the Old Testament, but, but saved in Old Testament since, because Christ still had to die for them. They got saved on credit in the Old Testament. Christ had to come pay the bill. That's what it turned out to. That's why you see the word remission a whole lot. They had remission of sins, which means to be forgiven. But that redemption come in when Christ died on the cross and shed his blood. You say, what's redemption mean? Paid for. That's what it means. He paid for it. The bill was not paid until Calvary. Those people in the Old Testament, they were waiting on the bill to be paid. That's what they were waiting on. Whether they knew it or not. But they were down there in the holding place. You say, where was that? Well... Take your Bible and look to Luke 23. Luke 23. And we'll see what it's called. Luke 23. Here's the Lord on the cross. And he's dealing with the dying thief. You've all heard about him. Luke 23. All right, Luke chapter 23, verse 39. And one of the malefactors, that's a criminal, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. He had a thief on each side of him. One was even a murderer. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? So here's a guy railing on the Lord, uh, Chewing him out and getting after him. Another one said, why are you getting after him? We're in the same trouble he's in. And we indeed justly, for we received the due reward of our deeds, but this man had done nothing amiss. That's a pretty good observation by that guy. He said, we deserve to be here. He said, he hasn't done anything. He was right. Verse 42, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom. The word Lord's taken out of all the new Bibles. You say, why? Somebody doesn't want you to know who he is. Do you know what happened when he said, Lord? He recognized who he was. Lord. He didn't just say, remember me when thou comest. He said, Lord. Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. You say, what's a kingdom? It takes a king to have a kingdom. He recognized him as Lord and as king. Verse 43. What a great verse. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in where? Paradise. 
Where in the world is that? You know there's another name for that? Go to Luke 16, since we're here in Luke. It's not just called paradise. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. What a great passage. And this passage is not a parable. A parable never mentions a man's name in the Bible. There's a man's name mentioned here. The Lord nor normally starts out the parable and he'll say, and he spoke a, spoke a part, certain parable to him. Didn't say it here. A lot of people try to say that, but it's not true. It's a real story. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, real person, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now let me just say, the beggar died, he was carried by the angels into where? Abraham's bosom. And then you've got the rich man dies in verse 23, and in hell he lift up his eyes. What's amazing is, you get reading down through here, those that are in Abraham's bosom can see those in hell, and those in hell can see those in Abraham's bosom. But the Bible says there's a great gulf in between. So you can't get from one side to the other. But they're able to hold a conversation with one another. And so this place is called Abraham's bosom. Abraham is called the friend of God in the book of James. He's called the friend of God. It has to be a good place. But it's an Old Testament place. It's not a place where people go today. You say it's not? No, it's not. And I can show you more about it. You say, how can you show me? All right, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. <clears throat> All right, Matthew chapter number 12. And in Matthew 12, there's a great story here, in the Lord, a great passage, where the Lord tells you something about the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. Tells you a couple things about Jonah. One thing, he tells you what kind of fish Jonah was in. He clarifies it. And since God is the one that prepared the fish, he ought to know what kind it was. And secondly, he tells you what happens for the three days and three nights that his body is in the tomb after he dies at Calvary. Look in Matthew 12, 40. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's pretty plain. He said Jonah back there is a picture of the Lord dying and being buried for three days and three nights. He said that's what the story of Jonah is about. Him in that whale's belly. And there he is. And he says so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now you say where in the world would Abraham's bosom or paradise be? It's got to be in the heart of the earth. It's got to be there. That's the spot for it. And you say how do you know that? Because the Lord goes there. And did you read over there in Luke chapter number 23. Where he's talking to the, um, talking to the dying thief. And the thief, he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. And he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. In other words, the Lord, wherever he went, the dying thief went there the same day. He died that day. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And it wasn't in the tomb either. It's somewhere else where it was. You say, where was it? Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. 
It's in the heart of the earth. The heart of the earth. Saved people in the Old Testament sense went to Abraham's bosom or paradise. Two names for the same place. Lost people in the Old Testament went to hell. And by the way, lost people still go to hell today. They still do. It's the saved people that don't go the same place that they used to. All right, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter number 2, verse 25. Here's Peter preaching, and he talks about David. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou will not leave my soul. What happens when a person dies? Their soul leaves the body. Thou will not leave my soul in hell. Neither will thou suffer thine Holy One, capital H, capital O, talking about somebody other than David, to see corruption. You say, how do you know it's talking about somebody other than David? Because he gets preaching about it. He gets in 31. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. That tells you who David's talking about. He's talking about Christ. Plain and clear. It doesn't get any more clear than that. That's what he's preaching about, the resurrection. He said... He was only in there three days and three nights. He wasn't there long enough that his flesh started decaying and decomposing. And he said his soul didn't stay in hell either. Now people ask this. They say, are you trying to say that the Lord, when he died, he went to hell? Yes. However, I didn't say he went down there and suffered. I don't believe that at all. I believe that hell and paradise are side by side, just like Luke 16 says. And there's a great gulf between them, and they're in the middle of the earth. And I believe that the Lord went down there. You say, why did he go to hell then? He went down there, I believe, this is just what I believe about it. I believe that he cast our sins that he bore. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that he bore our sins not only in his body, but in his soul. He bore our sins in his soul. And he made an offering for our sins by dying on the cross at Calvary. And he got rid of them. And I believe he cast them into hell. Because in Hebrews chapter number 9, it says when he came up, he didn't have any sin on him. It was gone. It was out of there. He'd get rid of it somewhere. That sounds like a good place to go. And then I believe he crossed the gulf. Because he's the only one that could do it. And he crossed the gulf. Now, you say, well, you're saying he went to hell. He went to hell. But he didn't suffer in hell. He suffered at Calvary. Everything that he suffered was on the cross. I believe that he took the sinner's place. I believe he suffered what a person would suffer in hell. He said, I thirst. He went through torments. All that stuff at Calvary. And when he died, the suffering was over. That was the end of the suffering. The atonement was complete. He just needed to be resurrected. But he went down that place, got rid of those sins, grabbed the key. He has the keys of death and hell now, it says. And he went over there into paradise and he preached to them. Take your Bible and go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3. He said, what in the world did he preach to them? I think he told them what just happened. They didn't have any idea what was going on. All that business about people saying, well, in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the cross. That's not in the Bible. I mean, you say, well, that's what I've always heard. 100,000 right now, anybody can find the scripture says it. <laughs> 200,000? Will that do it? It's not in there. 
Now the Lord was looking forward to the cross and all the sacrifices were looking forward to the cross. All that was looking forward to the cross. They didn't understand it. His own disciples, the Bible says in John chapter 20 and verse 9, didn't even know he was going to be resurrected after he was resurrected. They didn't know that scripture yet. In Mark, the Bible says that they didn't understand he was going to die. They were looking for a king is what they were looking for. But boy, they needed more than a king. They needed a savior. And he died for them. And they were saved. And thank God for it. And he completed their salvation at Calvary. All right, First Peter chapter 3. You say, this is crazy stuff. It is crazy. And if it wasn't the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The just, that's him. For the unjust, that's me and you. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. He was resurrected. By which also, by the Spirit, he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. I think he went down there and preached the three-word message he preached in John chapter 19 and verse 30. It is finished. Salvation's complete. No more sacrifices. It's all done away. Hey, boys, you're redeemed, and we're busting out of here. And when the Lord went up after three days and three nights, he took them with him. You say he did? I know he did. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I can prove it. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Everybody in their mind, they think that everybody just always went to heaven. But I think the Bible's pretty clear in John 14 that he hadn't prepared it yet when he was here on earth. There were still some preparations that needed to be made. I realized there was heaven and it was the abode of God, but he made some different preparations. Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians 4 verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. You say, who's that? People in prison. And gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, here he is going up after the resurrection. What is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? How about that one? So well, you just said it's in the middle of the earth. That pretty well backs it up, doesn't it? Didn't that say that's what happened? Before he went up into heaven, first he went down into the lower parts of the earth. You say, where's hell at? It's down there in the center of the earth somewhere. You say, well, I don't believe that. That's crazy to say that. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 9, hell is beneath thee. It's below you. Turn there and look at it with me. Isaiah 14. Don't take my word for it. Isaiah 14. You know what I think is wrong with most Americans? Let me just back that up. You know what I think is wrong with most Baptists today? They don't ever study their Bibles. They don't know anything about the Bible. All they get is what's on Facebook or something like that. You ain't getting much there. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14 verse 9. Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. You say, where is it at? It's down there. Back in 1998, I was helping in vacation Bible school in Bald Knob, Arkansas. And I had a little boy under conviction. He wanted to be saved. And I took him into a side room. I said, well, let me ask you. I said, where would you go if you died right now? He said, he didn't say a word. He pointed. He said, well, that's crazy. He's smarter than some preachers. There's preachers that don't know that. But the boy was right. 
He trusted the Lord as a Savior and prayed and did all that. And afterwards, I said, where would you go now if you died? He said, he's right about that. Right again. You say, why? Because that's where heaven is. It's straight up. The Bible says it's due north. Not north like Chicago. I mean, thank God. That's not heaven. That's, that's more like the other place. <laughs> no, it's that way. Above the North Star, way on up there. Above the solar system and all that, way up there. And past the great deep that we talked about. That's where it's at, way up. And so it's a different place. And so when people died, they didn't go where they go now, as far as the Old Testament was concerned. All right, John 14, I want to I quote, quote it. I talked a little bit about the verse, didn't really quote it. But let me give you John 14 to go along with what we're talking about. John 14. John chapter 14. Back there in Isaiah 5, it says, Hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. John 14. People say, do you think that's the volcanoes and all that stuff? I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know that. But I know that it could be. But I know this much. I know where the Bible says it is. And I'm a Bible believer. And so I believe it. And there's only one person in this world that can tell you where it is. And he's right in the world. But the Spirit of God through the Scriptures. The Scriptures can tell you. Because the one that wrote the Scriptures is the one that created it. John 14. He knows everything. John 14 verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That tells me something right there. So what's it tell me? The place wasn't prepared. The place, the third heaven with all the mansions and stuff. You say, what is that? That's going to have to be New Jerusalem in that area. It was not prepared until Jesus died on the cross, was buried for three days and three nights, was resurrected, and when he went up, he took captivity captive. He took those spirits, their bodies were in the grave. He took those spirits that were down in prison or Abraham's bosom, and he went up there. Paradise ain't down there anymore. It's up there. You say, how do we know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second <laughs> Corinthians chapter 12. It's somewhere else. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. It is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Most people think this is Paul speaking of himself, probably is. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. How many heavens are there? There's three of them. You say, how do you know that? The Bible says so. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth how that he was caught up into, where? Paradise. I thought that was down in the middle of the earth. The Bible talks about the thief. He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom. He said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And then the Bible clearly says that he went in the heart of the earth in Matthew chapter 12. And in Ephesians 4 said he descended in the lower parts of the earth. You say, what about it? He took captivity captive after he preached to them. He took them with him. They're not down there anymore. Paradise has moved locations. And it's up there now. Today, if a person dies and they know the Lord is their Savior, they die and go to the third heaven. 
and there with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And if a person dies and they don't know Christ as their Savior, they die and they go to what we call a devil's hell where there's fire and brimstone and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a bad place. I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy. So if you're here and you're not saved, better get saved. Better trust Christ as your Savior for it's too late because everybody's going to one of those two places. Now, that paradise, like in Luke 16, in Abraham's bosom, that's where the Catholics have come up saying that there's a such place called purgatory, a holding cell, see. That's where they get that. Or like that old preacher used to preach, and he said you can spell purgatory two ways, P-U-R-G-A-O-T-R-Y, T-O-R-Y, or B-A-L-O-N-E-Y. <laughs> it's not real. If you die, you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. Now, that hell's going to go away someday. And the Bible talks about it, and it's going to be cast into the lake of fire. There will always be a hell. It'll just be in the lake of fire. We read that in Revelation chapter number 20 at the white throne judgment. That's a whole other ball game. That's more than a 1,000 years away because the millennial reign has to happen before that takes place. More than a 1,000. So, anyway. All right. Questions or comments? <laughs> Crazy stuff. <laughs> 